If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, humans! Welcome to Not You Guillermo, a What We Do in the Shadows podcast brought to you by The Dip. I'm Nicole Conlon. And I'm Patrick Monahan. This week, we're going to recap episode nine of season three of What We Do in the Shadows, and we're going to chat with Amanda Neal. She's worked as a costume designer for the show and the Shadows movie. Okay. What okay. a week. Yeah. What a week. <laughs> This is, uh, what a what an episode of what we do in the shadows. Yeah, I, I, you know this is one that uh, we'll, we'll talk about in a sec. But yeah, I mean, even some of the stuff when I was at Comic Con doing the interviews, I feel like this uh, may have informed sort of the squirrely responses uh, that we got yes. on some of the stuff. Uh, this retroactively makes a lot of that make sense. <laughs> um, I'm going to recap it real quick. I'm going to preface this by saying, if for some reason you're listening to our podcast without watching the show. Please watch this episode. <laughs> Please stop listening to the podcast yeah, right now. Yeah, this is a good point. Go back and watch the episode. Yeah. yeah, and if you haven't watched it yet or something and you don't think it matters, you know, you don't think that there's anything that can be spoiled or anything like that, uh, please stop. Uh, this is your final warning. Yes. Um, so I, the short recap so that we can talk about the big thing is we are now still seeing Nandor locked in his cage, being deprogrammed from the cult that he was in in the previous episode. It's not working. Nandor decides he wants to do something called a super slumber, which is where a vampire goes to sleep for 50, 100, 300, or Nandor says at one point he wants to be asleep for 800 years, which is sort of like a hard reboot. And when he wakes up, all the humans he knew will be dead and all of the vampires he knew will have abandoned him. So he's trying to do that. No one's happy about it, but he's set in his ways. So they have a little ceremony for him, close him in his coffin. Guillermo boards up his bedroom. The guide comes down the chimney and announces that a bunch of old world vampires want to come and see how Nandor and Nadja are doing as co-chairs of the Vampiric Council. Yeah, this is the this is like like the the home office is coming. This is like corporate HQ, yes. like the council of councils, the, the big shots are coming. Yes. Boss is um, the boss is coming to dinner, the classic sitcom trope. <laughs> yes, the classic sitcom trope of the boss is coming to dinner. It happens to coincide with Colin Robinson's birthday. Uh, it's his 100th birthday, and he's excited to have a party. He's excited to... What dance does he want to do? Oh, he keeps talking about it. I can't remember now. I can't remember either. The, he wants to do the Humpty Hump. He yes, wants to do the Humpty Hump. That's right. That's right. He's really excited to do the Humpty Hump. So Colin's a little miffed that this is coinciding with his birthday. It's supposed to be about him. Nadja is like, we have to wake up Nandor. We have to wake him up. So they wake him up. He's mad about it. He says, just tell them you killed me in a fit of rage. Because I was try- I was Susie, I was threatening your power. They'll love that. Don't ever wake me up again. So he goes back to sleep. The head vampiric council, the old world vampires, come to the house. Uh, we'll get into. There's a bunch of fun cameos we'll, or guest stars. Uh, we'll get to them in a second. The point is, old vampires. Nadja tells them that you know she killed Nandor. They all want to go see the body. There's a very funny scene where Guillermo has to wake Nandor up 
And he's like, why would you wake me up from super sleep, which is a state that so closely resembles death that it would fool anybody who saw me. And so then Guillermo apologizes and they bring in everybody to observe the dead body to make sure he's really dead. And then they all demand to see Nandor's penis. And they say some fairly unflattering things about him and his average wang. And then they leave and Nandor is like, what a, what a great last memory, Guillermo. Thank you so much. And close the, close the coffin, leave again. During this whole process, Laszlo keeps trying to make toast to Colin Robinson and make it about Colin Robinson's birthday. And eventually he reveals that the reason he's doing this is because Colin Robinson is dying. Colin Robinson is dying. And he reveals the answer to our question that we've been asking on the podcast, which is what kills Colin Robinson. And the answer is the ravages of time. Because energy vampires, he had it, if you'll remember in episode one of the season, they're in the library and he rips a page out of a book. It's because he's discovered a page in a book that says energy vampires live to be 100 years old. And that's it. And today is Colin Robinson's 100th birthday. And they're all shocked that he's going to die. He goes into his room because he says he's feeling a funny tummy. He keeps asking Guillermo to get him ginger ale. And then there's a very funny scene where they're in Colin Robinson's room. He's in bed. He's feeling really sick. They're all trying to be very nice to him without telling him he's about to die. And he's just farting. He's farting so, so, so much. He's basically his body is betraying him. Deflating or something. It's, I, yeah. I don't know how else. Because because he looks flatter in the in, when he's laying yeah. in the bed. It's really great makeup or I don't know what you would call it, production design, whatever, but he's... It's very good. And so then Guillermo gives a little speech and he talks about how, you know, we've never really liked each other or gotten along, but we are in some ways a family. Hold on a second. And he goes and wakes up Nandor, who's furious at him. But he's like, Colin Robinson's dying and we figured you want to be here for this. And Nandor comes into the room and he's like, he's faking it. Don't you remember the other two times he was faking it for attention? And then he taps Colin Robinson on the head and just pokes a hole through his head. His whole face collapses in. And then Nandor's hand comes up and he's covered in like goo from the inside of Colin Robinson's skull. And he says, well, that is really quite sad. And that's the end of the episode. So that's where we're at. Yeah, it's the kind of thing, the kind of last shot that really erases what you remember from the rest of the episode. Because uh, I took me, I was like, what else? When I was kind of thinking about for, you know, being able to talk about the recap and stuff earlier today, I was like, what happened? What? I mean, obviously we know what happened. He got sick and everything. But oh, right. Several really fun guest stars and a fun kind of sequence. So it's the global, I guess it's the global vampiric council. I think that was the, the, uh, the, the official name, but includes. And uh, obviously, I don't remember all of their names, but uh, the actress uh, is, is Candy Alexander, who is a, uh, she was the Emmy on CSI Miami for a long run. Uh, she was, I believe <laughs> yep. she was Olivia's mom in Scandal. I think that was uh, maybe the thing I remember her from the most recently that I watched. And uh, she's, you know, she's great. She's in Treme. She's a great actress. She's been in a ton of stuff and she plays. And she's very, great in this too. She's yeah. like perfect for this kind of sneering vampire role. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, David Cross, who plays a old kind of nebishy vampire, we'll say. And, and he's dating a like, Instagram model human, basically, I guess. Yeah, is kind hot of young gold digger who, at one point, the guide is like, just so you know, you can't get his money. Right, he's, he's not, not going to die. die. <laughs> There's no, like, passing on. There's no will you're getting on. Yeah. Uh, There's also this really funny joke where she's not a vampire, so she can't drink blood, so they have to provide food for her. But she's a, she does not have, like, an adult palate, so they bring her chicken nuggets and spaghetti with just butter on it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Chicken nuggies, I believe, is the uh, yeah, uh-huh. and, and that's look. I mean, that's still good food. I don't care how good your palate is. Look, who do, who doesn't enjoy that? Hey, I eat it. Uh, but minus the, the vegetarian things, but <laughs> uh, you know. And then the third member of the council that we get to meet is uh, Donal Logue as Donal Logue uh, because. <laughs> They seemed confused by him because his his character was the number two, like the right hand man of Deacon Frost in the movie Blade. That's uh, Stephen Dorff's character. So he and he's, if you remember, uh, uh, Donald Logue's character gets his hand cut off like multiple times by Blade. Uh, that's like part of the thing that he has to deal with. And he also gets smashed up against a subway train. His face gets all like messed up. But anyway, so he's he's in Blade, and uh, I guess they initially thought. You know, they were confused, like, well, yeah, but you're not really a vamp. The actor, you're, and be, apparently he got into being a vampire because he dug the culture of vampires as a result of his time yeah, on he, Blade. Yeah, he was in Blade, and he had so much fun being with vampires that he was like, I'm going to go all in on this. Yeah. So, <laughs> he became a vampire. So this, I guess this leaves open the possibility that the Blood Raves are real vampire culture. Uh, I don't know, from the famous beginning of Blade. So if you're... Ever approached by Tracy Lords and she wants to bring you into a, an underground party uh, like that guy at the beginning of Blade, do not uh, go with her, even if it's in real life, because apparently— Or hey, do. What a way to go uh, out. Whatever. Yeah, that's true. You got bigger things to be worried about. They hire some, I guess—I guess they're wait—are they cater waiters? But one of the guys just— they- Yeah, they're cater waiters who's bringing around, uh, like, a carafe of blood to refill people's goblets, and then— And then everyone just drinks his blood. But I think it was Donal who— was the first guy to just go, it, go yeah. all in on this Yeah, he, said, he basically says, do you mind? And just, no, of course. And then he just immediately, I, I, you figure he was going to drink out of the carafe, but no, he just bites the guy's neck. Uh, so Yeah, which is very funny. Yeah, so that's, they're very impressed by Nadia's ruthlessness in killing Nandor. And then they want to see the body, which, you know, I'm confused because I, I kind of, what's the scenario where you kill a vampire, but his body doesn't burst into flame? You know, I kind of, or, or into like a pile of goo. Oh. I'm kind of curious about what they, you know, what they thought well, they were. I'd, what do they think they were going to see, I guess, is the question. Well, I think we've only seen vampires so far killed either by sunlight or something Guillermo has done. And Guillermo is always armed with, like, garlic or crucifixes. Crucify? Cruci- uh, yep. Cruci- crucifice. Crucifice. Uh, crucifice. Yeah, whatever. It's yeah, fine. crucifice. <laughs> um, and, and all of those things would cause them to sort of erupt into smoke, but... I wonder if a vampire kills another vampire if those rules don't apply. Yeah, and maybe now that I think about it, when he staked the like when he was dealing with all the vampire assassins, I don't remember them bursting into flames. So anyway, maybe it just no. Just... They did when the cross touches their body, it goes, but they don't turn into like dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. Well, in any event, they go in and check out the body, and it rapidly turns into let's check out his, you know. Uh, he leg- has a legendary legend- hog. Right, the legendary hog. I was I was thinking of the right words. And uh, they're sort of let they're let down because it's average, basically. Because yes, it's so. average. And Guillermo tries to, you know, step up and be like, "Well, I've I've always heard he's more of a grower, not a shower." Yeah, uh, and, and then uh, all of them immediately say, "No, that's not true." Yeah, and then and then David Cross's character does a, uh, a density check. I'm not exactly sure uh-huh. what what he's supposed to be getting out of it, but uh, does not seem. Well, to pay- he uses. He's trying to figure out, like, what word to use to describe it, and the answer is wiggliness. That's right, yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, and then, obviously, the important thing here is that Nandor is awake for all of this and not able to respond to any of it <laughs> and just has to lay there. And then, <laughs> a fitting send-off, I think is how he puts it, and uh, the goodbye forever to everyone. Now, I have, now I have a question about his, this plan of, you know, basically, like, just, because he's just on a table, in this house on Staten Island that 
wasn't there 700 years before. So the idea that he's, you know, you know this assumes people are going to keep paying the rent or the mortgage or, or there won't be a natural disaster or human society won't collapse. I think literally Guillermo has taken care of all of this stuff for him or his previous familiars have just done all of this. Yeah. So he's never had to consider it and is not considering it now. Right, because it's like, yeah, dude, I mean, I guess. Uh, let's Because it's not like there's like a lock that keeps it closed, really. So yeah. let's hope it doesn't fall down and dump you out. And then you get, you know, it doesn't seem like the most foolproof strategy for a variety of reasons. But, uh, you know, he was dedicated to the idea. It's like Odin sleep or something. That's what I'm picturing. They just kind of get, to get into like a... Because obviously they have to eat, but they return and they're like, I don't know, like he's like skeletal. The, the, the images they showed when they were explaining Super Slumber were very literal skeleton guys running around that came out. So I don't know what Nandor would be looking like at that point, but not an issue at the moment, at least not because they, they woke him up enough times and uh, presumably they have to figure out what's going to happen now. <laughs> yes, Since, as do we. As do now, we. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Colin Robinson's coming back. Yeah, you know, that's that's the smart money, I think. It's a comedy show. It's not a, not that there aren't like little emotional beats and things like that. And there aren't, not that there aren't, to use a, a word that I really would like to not use, but I can't help it, stakes. Um, yeah, it really sucks using the word stakes in a vampire show. Right, it's like it. I'm not, I, I want to make it very clear up front. I'm not trying to do a pun here. I just can't think of a synonym that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, consequences. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah sure. But, um Maybe uh, Mark is leaving no. the show. You know, I, that could be, you know, I mean, who knows? But whatever the intrigue behind it is, it was one of those things where it's like, well, he'll, he'll just be fine. And then they really make it a point to uh, <laughs> show to the smash audience. smash his face in so and you his, know that he's not fine. Right. His head, his skull basically turns into the guy that uh, Brian Gosling is stomping in the elevator and drive. That is essentially what happens to his head. Uh, seems like a pretty clear indicator that he is no longer alive. Um, yes. But yeah, we, now. Don't, we don't know anything about how this any of this works. So he could so be... So here's the one thing I'll say. I didn't have time to go back and rewatch it, but we even mentioned this. I think it's maybe in episode two or three, which is the one where Colin Robinson gets hit by the car. I think it's episode two. Oh, by the jalopy, uh, yes. Yeah, by the jalopy. He mentions his mother, and he says, like, you know, my mother's always been irritating. Still is. So that means, because he's 100 years old, she has to be older than him. So that means that she's still alive somehow, which means that there is a way to get around this 100 years vampire thing. I'm wondering if it's like he's going to, he's like a phoenix and he's going to emerge from, you know, the husk of his former body anew. Right, he's like a cicada. He's going to he's going to be like Yeah, cicadas are better a better cuz cicadas are also quite annoying. And gross. Um, yeah, so yes. he's he's going to emerge like sort of white and like squirming around and uh, you know with, with, with like pink with like pink eyes you know and so yeah he, and then he will settle into his normal color after a little while yeah that's possible I mean the other possibility is that it's like the vampire compendium you know maybe they were wrong nobody seems to know much about anything you know so the idea this is definitive you know and I, I just want to take a moment here to you know shout out we we've been kind of saying that uh, Laszlo seemed a little bit short with people this season. And yes, this I think the best thing about this episode is retroactively justifying all of Laszlo's choices that maybe at the time seemed a little off. Yeah, like, I mean, this is a very, like, Snape in Harry Potter situation, not to spoil, you know, but, like, the guy who seemed very prickly. Yeah, not to spoil the 20-year-old children's book. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to, you know, be mindful <laughs> here. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah the, it turns out he was 
doing what he thought was a solid. And there was kind of a touching little montage of all their little times together, even though they involved Con Robinson getting hit by a car and lit on fire <laughs> and and uh, them dumping a body off the boat. But we got we got a little call back to uh, the dudes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he got to pal around with somebody for a while, which I think was something he, you know, obviously wanted uh, and, and did not really have. So that was, you know, if this is the end, you know, Laszlo did a good thing. Um, so, yeah. We also still haven't discovered much about how energy vampires are created, and my guess is they're going to touch on that a little bit in the final episode, which is next week. That's true. Yeah, maybe we'll meet some more. Maybe we'll meet this mother. Who who knows? Uh-huh. Um, I also want to, speaking of Laszlo, this scene kind of fades away in the, you know, the, the cold open basically is, you know, Nandor's still in the cage, and they have kind of a back and forth about, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not brainwashed and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on his... He just kind of goes off on each of the individual residents of the house, basically. And uh, <laughs> Laszlo, he says, was born with a silver dick in his mouth, which I think is uh, one of the funnier things that I heard this season on this show. It's very funny. It's very funny. And Laszlo's into it. And I also thought his insult for Colin Robinson, which is, was very good, which is he's insulting everybody. And then Colin Robinson is like, do me, do me. And then Nander's like, I would not remember your name if I didn't have it written down on a paper inside of my pocket that I keep with me at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and then Colin Robinson legitimately gets his feelings hurt. <laughs> yep. So, obviously, our first question, what kills Colin Robinson as of right now, is evidently uh, has been answered. So, uh, I guess our second question is, you know, is Guillermo any closer to becoming a vampire? I will say he, you know, we've been seesawing back and forth a little bit over the last couple episodes, but... You know, when Nandor is going back into, I think this is after the first time he wakes up, I can't remember exactly, but he's going back into the coffin and, and Guillermo's trying to convince him not to again, to go back into, this, into the super slumber. He says, oh, again, with the making you a vampire, you know, he, he's ready to kind of be annoyed about the request. And Guillermo says, no, 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 I don't even care about that. He just doesn't want him to go, you know. And uh, maybe that's just in the heat of the moment or not. But again, I think it's, you know, it's not really clear what he wants at this point out of this uh arrangement other than just to kind of keep hanging out so yeah i think he definitely got further away from being a vampire this time both because it it seems like he might not necessarily want to anymore and also because if nandor is going into the super slumber which now at the end of the episode it seems like they're gonna have to deal with this colin robinson situation so i don't know that nandor is gonna super slumber anymore but if nandor leaves i mean naja and laszlo are not gonna turn guillermo into a vampire so his last best hope for becoming a vampire is also gone. Yeah, and it may have already passed because we already saw Nandor kind of at his, you know, softest, so to speak. You know, his like lowest moments, you know, and, and when he was maybe the most likely sentimentally to do it. And now he's kind of, and I swear this, this using this language has nothing to do with the scene where they're all looking at his dick or whatever. That's not related to that. I just realized as I'm saying because he's really hardened around this, you know, you know. Uh, <laughs> I definitely for sure thought that when they were handling his penis, he was going to get a boner and it would reveal to everybody that he was not dead. Yeah. But didn't happen. Didn't happen. They evaded my expectations yet again, what we do in the show On the cutting room floor, the scene where he, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this was a very fun episode. The Donal Logue thing was truly a thrill to me. Yeah, it was really good. And the like the detailed reference to Blade, which is one of my favorites, also wonderful. And the idea that Donal Logue is just actually a vampire is very fun. Now, one thing just occurred to me. I know that we've moved on from talking about Colin Robinson's death, but could this be a time for Benedict Wong to come back and do a little necromancy? 
That's possible. Um, you know, I don't know if this guy who, uh, he didn't do such a great job last time, right? That was not really, uh, you know, yeah, it, it didn't true. really, they didn't really get back the Topher that they wanted. They got back a guy who now makes the keychains, right? That's what his, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we saw that's that true. end up. So do we, are we going to get I gotta Colin? I got to say, I think Colin Robinson would like making keychains. Well, he'd like being the most annoying guy in the keychain making uh, office, although it would be a lot of kind of, uh, like not words, just kind of. <laughs> or I guess he'd be saying Colin Robinson over and over again, right? Because Topher just kept saying Topher. So yeah, uh, Colin, Colin, Robinson. Colin. Hey, okay. Uh, so yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did a uh, I did a uh, my friends uh, they have a something called TV and D. It's like a D and D live stream they do every but with TV shows, and they did I what, love that they did what we do in the shadows one, and it's like a you know. Short campaign that's supposed to be able to end in like an hour. And so we were all different characters. And uh, I picked Nandor because I thought I could do a decent Nandor. Not that we were looking character the whole time, but. But if you can do a voice, it helps. Yeah. And he did uh, Colin Robinson. And I was like, that's way more fun and easy to do. I should have gone with that one. Does not require as much commitment. <laughs> uh, so, oh, well, uh, you know, but check that out. TV and D. Uh, you can Google TV it or whatever. It. Uh, but uh, yeah, this was a really, you know, this one really rattled me a little bit, I have to say. Uh, you know, I was watching, yeah. yeah, my girlfriend and I were watching it, and we were, you know, like, huh, well, I guess I wonder what's going to, and then he touched his head and was like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the part where he breaks through Colin Robinson's face was wild. Because, the, you know, because the writers are smart. They know that people, you know, do the kind of attempting to outsmart them, you know, immediately, kind of like, well, he's probably not really gone. He's like, you know, maybe either he's going to come back or like the, you know, or they'll figure out something. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, well, okay. Now he doesn't have a face. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little trickier. Maybe this is going towards they're going to re- maybe he's like Doctor Who or he's like the doctor, excuse me. And, uh, oh, sure. So we'll recast him with like a, like an Asian woman. Yeah. Next but, but it'll be, season. yeah. Exactly. Maybe it's Great. like that. I don't know. Great. I love it. Give me Peter Capaldi. I'd be down for that. He was the oh, two, okay. was yeah, 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 two yeah. doctors ago. Um, although I don't know how that would work. The idea of Colin Robinson being like terrifyingly furious all the time does not really uh, jive with. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's a little bit more tougher to blend in. I don't in. know if it's very vampiric. You well, know? yeah, it's tougher to blend in when that's your... When that's the energy you're taking, as opposed to like, you know, making people fall asleep at a zoning board meeting or what, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. easier to kind of slip in and out of unnoticed. So, well, if you have any uh, casting recommendations for next season's Colin Robinson, please sound off in the comments wherever you're listening yeah. to this podcast. Colin Robinson is going to become like, it's going to become like Batman, like it's like a, or, or James Bond, just like, oh, a, it's like a, like a prestige actor yeah, does it every like Who year. will be the next, who will, you know, God, the, Christian Bale as Colin Robinson <laughs> would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a line to do in the voice and I can't think of like a specific Colin Robinson line uh, it's it's like hold on there's a community theater talk back for our town <laughs> it's like one of those yeah or or like uh, there's a lot of speculation about will it be Idris Elba or Tom Hiddleston or Tom oh. Hardy you know who will be the next Colin Robinson now that uh that now that Marcus hung up the the Spurs, or he hung he hung up the. You know how weirdly I think both fits into like hot guy, like cool young actor, but could conceivably play a Colin Robinson type character. It's Manny Jacinto from The Good Place. Okay, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. That's, that's I would buy him as a energy vampire. Yeah, I can see that. That's true. Um, who? Yeah, who would actually be? 
fun. All I can think of are the most over the top ones, but this show has done a pretty good job of having some pretty over the top castings. So just, yeah, we, well, we know it's none of the actors that we, it's not Wesley Snipes, uh, cause he's actually in the show and the, in the, you know, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I mean, we're going to have to see, you know, this is a lot remains to be sort of resolved, you know, if it's going to be resolved in the next episode of the show, because it's the last episode of the season. And we've got the Nandor arc that, you know, not clear how it's going to resolve, whether he's going to figure out what he wants to do or not. Um, if he's going to stay, if he's going to go, if he's going to go back to sleep, if he's going to, I don't know, go back to the wellness center and find out that they're all gone. There's just a bunch of ashes on the roof, you know, and I guess some bones. I don't know if they burn. I guess over time they would probably just become straight up ashes. They just keep burning probably, right? I think so. Yeah. So, and then we've obviously got to figure out what the hell is going to happen now. We're living in a post-Colin Robinson world. Whew. Never thought I'd say those words. Yeah, it's it's messed up in my opinion, but we will be here to walk you through it, I guess, once we know what's happening next. Now that we got that out of the way, uh, something on a little bit more of the lighter side. I have an interview with Amanda Neal, who is a costume designer for both the What We Do in the Shadows movie and the show. So check it out. And we're back. Today's guest is so exciting. I'm so thrilled we have her here. She is the New Zealand costume designer for both the What We Do in the Shadows movie as well as seasons one and two. Everybody at home or driving quietly in your cars, please give it up for Amanda Neal. Yay! Yay. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Pretty excited. Thanks so much for being here. What time is it there? It is 11.07 a.m., so I've had a walk, oh. the dog's happy, the sun is out, the birds may chime in at any minute, so um, yeah, it's, what kind of time is it over there? It's, you got, uh, in Denver, it's cities. 4 o'clock, and that would make it 6 p.m. where Patrick is. Crikey, yeah. globetrotters. <laughs> yes, this is now an international podcast, which I am pretty <laughs> proud of. So let's talk about your experience and what we do in the shadows. Uh, first of all, the costumes and obviously the both the movie and the TV shows are like so, I think, integral to the feeling of the show and understanding who these characters are. So I guess you started with the movie. How did you meet Taika and, and Jemaine, or, or were you hired you know, by the production company, or how did that work? Well, at that stage, well, how many years ago? Gosh, I don't want to put a number to it, but maybe 15 years I've known Taika. And Taika and I have been in a kind of a collaborative relationship for that period of time. I met him on my first movie, and he was an actor, and he was the naughty guy who I was constantly telling off. So the fact that the rebel child ended up becoming a good friend and a work colleague is kind of outrageous. But um, So we collaborated on a number of films with kind of a small budget. So Boy, which is kind of, I guess, what uh, pushed Taika into a, a kind of an international limelight with Sundance and what we do in the shadows. And so by the time, oh, sorry, Eagle versus Shark. And then so by the time the film What We Do in the Shadows came around, he wanted to kind of self-fund and self-produce it rather than have our New Zealand Film Commission attached. So it was kind of like we all came together with the intention of making something that was kind of random, low budget, a mockumentary called, uh, you know, produced by the New Zealand Documentary Board. So even the name was hilarious, I thought. And so we kind of called on favours, called in onto, uh, called a lot of the people in Wellington who were like props builders, um, I think had came, one of the big studio, Peter Jackson studio films had just finished. So I was able to source a lot of fabric for a good rate. So we called in a lot of favours so that we could make this um, film on a really, really low budget. So I had built a relationship with Taika with several films, but I'd never worked with Jermaine before. And then 
So we're in a collaborative um, relationship with two directors, a costume designer and a production designer, and hair and makeup. So it was a very it was a very small team. I think we had one or two people on each team working together. But Taika and Jermaine just have such a shared sense of humour and vernacular and understanding and shorthand. So it made the process really interesting. I mean, I was actually constantly getting told off because a lot of it was improv and we knew the narrative um, line of the characters, what would happen from A to B or A to F. But um, so how we'd track these characters, but the actors didn't know what was happening to them. So they would just have to improvise on the day. And so that's how they worked the magic which made things a little tricky with additional cast, like all of a sudden, now you're flying, now you're in a harness, now you're going to stab someone. So it was a crazy, crazy time. And I think they, I think Taika had, oh, like over 100 hours, maybe several thousand hours on tape that he had to really edit down. So they had amazing material. It never even occurred to me that the improvisational nature of it must make your job harder because it's your job to track like, okay, at this point, this character is supposed to like have been coming from this destination so he should have like a coat and an umbrella and then if the actor says something different you know if he says actually I wasn't coming from the park I was coming from the mall or whatever <laughs> the classic scene in uh what we do in the shadows <laughs> where they go to the mall uh then that that's like a totally different costume that you then have to retroactively put together well that's exactly right and and it's also problem solving like preparing you, you know, repeats, blood, all of those elements that you take for granted with a costume and the character motivation. So it, it was a constant kind of, you know, just run and catch it. I don't, I don't even know how to say it. It was just a, a constant kind of chasing your tail, trying to problem solve what was coming out of the improvisation. And also to my process too, a lot of with actors is, talking about the character arcs and their process and where we want to transition things with um, certain beats in the story. But I couldn't do that this time because I knew the beats and I couldn't share them. So I had to independently trust my instinct and go, okay, this is where this transition is going to happen. That's so interesting. Now, speaking of like timelines and stuff, what I think really makes the costumes pop in this show is they are this sort of weird mixture of like the vampires have been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it is this mixture of like, I imagine authentic, like vintage pieces that you have found that are at this point kind of one of a kind numbers with like, you know, lots of takes of blood, probably needing multiples of different kinds of things. So how, you know, how much do you make? How much do you buy? How do you prepare for that kind of thing? Well, Fortunately, in Toronto, you know, it's so it's so prepared for film and television productions. There are so many rental houses and amazing, amazing vintage. So you always default to vintage and you um, look at your research, but it's such a big manufacture purely because of the repeat garments and the harnessing, which and the stunt doubles. So, you know, in their closets, they'll have three of the same garment because, or sometimes four because there might be fire or there might be vomit or there might be ghost goo or... So it's determining and trying to get, it's all about texture. You know, it's like, well, and one, yeah, one day many things could happen. So it's getting those garments, making them repeatable, but just paying attention to the textiles and colour because, you know, that's really, and the silhouettes, and that's what really helped the characters and hoping that we gave it an authentic vintage feel because, as you know, each character, like Nandor, for example, lovely, lovely Caven who did a fantastic job of his character. You know, he died in the 14th century at the beginning of the Ottoman Empire. And, you know, so we tried to bring in flavour of the Ottoman period with the texture and the shape and a little bit of his armour. And so he kind of, 
you know, where he, when he dies, you know, he holds on to that particular period because that was his heyday and that is what's familiar to him. Whereas now he has eternal youth and every day just kind of rolls into the next. So he's not really paying attention. But what he knows is what, what you know, what the time frame and the period in which he came from. Yeah. How does your process differ if you're doing a costume for somebody like Nandor, who does have all of that hundreds and hundreds of years of history, versus somebody like Guillermo or Colin Robinson, who are more like normal guy clothes? It's interesting because in this process, you know, Guillermo and Colin Robinson were actually the tougher costumes or characters to design because, you know, the ridiculous nature of the show is heightened by, I think, the grounding in reality. And so it's those beats where you go, okay, no, this is this is every day. This is realism. We have to ground these characters and make them convincingly, you know, um, convincing and real. Whereas, um, because you can be a lot more theatrical and creative with Nandora, Laszlo and Natasha. But from Guillermo, a lot of it was shape and texture because, you know, a lot of um, the show is so dark. We shoot it in such dim light that you lose so much of the detail if there's not texture in certain colours. And Harvey was like, you know, because there'd be up to six or seven changes per day um, because we'd be block shooting. Yeah. So (laughs) it's fast changes, fast changes, repeatable garments and things that fit him comfortably. He can move because now he's a lot more active. And it's a fast costume change. And also, too, he doesn't have time to think about what he wears on a daily basis. He's a familiar. His intention is to service the vampire. So he should potentially disappear and how he presents himself shouldn't be, um, he shouldn't have fashion flair. You know, that was the thing. It's convincing. It's comfortable. Enables you to be outside in minus 15 degrees in Toronto half the time. That's why there's jackets and gloves for him particularly. But um it was just like I wanted him to be interesting but not a fashion kind of icon, which I guess some of his knitwear he has become. And Colin Robinson, you know, the the thing, the conversations that I had with Jermaine very early on was, you know, if we took a portrait of Colin in the 50s to present day, we shouldn't be able to notice the difference. And so his <laughs> is a timeless silhouette and beige is our friend. You know, it's every shade of beige and he really, really pulled it off. Yeah, I think if anybody can pull off head to toe beige, it's uh, Colin I know, Robinson. It's exactly right. And, and I remember <laughs> when we were coming up with some of the, the ideas, it's like even, you know, a little bit of texture in the knit, uh, you know, it's something a little bit more interesting because he, Mark would get a little bit disappointed and... Um, a little envious sometimes of everyone's kind of textured flamboyancy. And he he just had another pair of slacks, a tie and a shirt, you know, it's a bit of a bummer some days. So I think for the theatre show, we had this conversation, it was like he's feeling pretty left out. So I gave him some sparkly shoes and that really cheered him up. Ooh, Dorothy was go. reborn. Yes. <laughs> it's That's very interesting because last week we had John Gabris on the podcast who played the – how do we decide pronunciation? Warfinger. Warfinger, yeah. The Warfinger, the guy who works at the Wharf in uh, season one, episode one. And his whole thing was like, I love playing that role because everybody had to wear these hard to put on costumes and I got to wear like a flannel shirt. So, <laughs> so some yeah, people do, do appreciate the basics. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's one of very few though to be put on a flannel shirt on that show. But, um, but as things like Beanie, um, she was, she was amazing because, you know, just making her look so, you know, and Beanie was in season... Season, season one. one I season think. two. Oh, season one. Yes, yeah, she, yeah. she was too. She was amazing. Of course, she was in the season two. By that stage, her career had just <laughs> bloss- blossomed, exploded. And so there was nowhere we were getting her, getting her back. But yes, yeah, just some really interesting, amazing actors coming through our um, wardrobe room and 
and having such a fun time to create these ridiculous and fun characters. Did you, I don't know if you'll remember your exact process for this episode, but in season two, there's the episode where there's this woman who's pretending she's become a vampire and it's like a hip, cool startup vampire and all of the familiars like leave their vampires to come there because she says she's going to turn everyone into a vampire. Do you know which episode I'm talking about? Yeah. So we're talking about as Greta Lee, she was the, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, like, those vampires had a very different look. They were very much, like, millennial vampires. So did you have, like, a different process for that? Thank you, Nicole. It was such a different process because um, I love that episode and that particular character was so fun. So we could have a really interesting time exploring, you know, contemporary fashion as a vampire, but also she was a wannabe. And so my idea was, and I went to the writer's room, it's like, hey, what do you think of this? Is this random? So it's kind of like she's a modern cult member. So that's why when everyone walked into that room, she she actually slowly, and it was the nuance, I don't know if everyone picked it up, but she would slowly make everyone over. over. And so she used the mustard hue, um, she, mustard hues and, um, you know, turmeric colours. So it's kind of like, it's her idea of, you know, the cult followings, that they were her familiars, but it was more in a modern context rather than our standard vampires that live in Staten Island. Our standard <laughs> vampires, our amazing cast <laughs> in, on Staten Island. Very cool. Does that um, make sense? Yes, it definitely does. Uh, this is also fascinating because it's all stuff like I don't think about. <laughs> this is making me be like, I should probably put my yeah. thought into the clothes that I wear. Um, yeah, I, I was I was going to say like sp- speaking of that, you know the. You mentioned that you know the, that the the main cast they're you know they're hundreds of years old and they have a flavor of kind of their past. I have like a I have an annoying brain that thinks more about logistics than maybe uh, uh, needs to. But you know somebody like Nandor has been around for seven hundred years. We know that's the that's when they always uh, say you know as far as how long he's been a vampire. Obviously, clothes don't you know don't last. I mean his armor would last that long, but clothes would fall apart over that time or get you know something. You know, did you think about you know? how often they refresh their wardrobe. Like, you know, it's vintage, but it's not 700 years old vintage. Like, you know, I don't know if that's a level of detail that maybe is not really something you get into, but I I just find the idea of trying to make it seem like somebody hasn't really changed their style. I mean, with Colin Robinson, sure, there were suits in the 50s and there are suits now. That's That idea of trying to make that a consistent thing for centuries is just really fascinating to me. You know, is that something you thought about? Well, no, it, it's actually it definitely something we thought about. And in the film we had, I think we had a sewing machine in the corner and we always had, you know, um, you know, the knitting and we had, you know, so there was the idea or the suggestion that they made their own clothes. Whereas we didn't actually get into that detail um, with the series because, well, Natasha, we weren't going to all of a sudden domesticate her and make her make everyone's garment. So it's kind of like hopefully the practicality, the practical thinking viewer will not consider whether they're essentially pieces or garments from, you know, the 1700s, 1800s or 14th century. But they are just, maybe he's got a tailor somewhere that makes his clothes and, um, <laughs> I mean, they're constantly being dry cleaned, so there's there's some kind of management sure. going, going on. But Sure, it's sort of I like vampire cottagecore. They're doing it for Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Cottage, yeah, vampire cottage core for sure, which I think <laughs> is a thing. Probably, probably inspired by this show. You have probably inspired your own Instagram subcategory of fashion. That is very kind, and I do even this even this week. It's the thing I love about the show, and and the, and what I also miss so deeply about not being part of the series anymore because 
COVID hit and I stayed in New Zealand and didn't continue with season three was, you know, just the the cosplay, the people who are so obsessed about the show and the level of detail and interest that they put into their costumes and their Someone um, emailed me two days ago and he's making his wife and Tim himself the Laszlo and Nash, uh, Natasha looks, I should say Laszlo and Naja's looks, so characters and actors' names always get confusing to me after a while. <laughs> yeah. But um, a cosplay look from the orgy so that, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, here's the detail. You know, this is what we did without having to give them fitting photos and all the rest of it. But um but anyway, the fact that there's a whole kind of subgroup of people that are, are so interested in the show and their um, interest in the costumes and, and how we develop the character is really so flattering and complimentary. I'm just very thankful to be part of it and have such fun with it. That actually leads into a question that we were going to ask at the end, which I will bump up to now, which is a lot of our listeners are huge fans of the show and are probably going to want to dress as a character from the show for Halloween. So if they're starting to look for stuff now, obviously recreating an exact outfit might be hard, but if they just want to kind of capture the vibe, what should they be on the look for? I know you've talked a lot about textures, so that should probably be at the top of the list. A lot of velvets and stuff. Well, you know, my thing is kind of avoid black if you can. It's such an obvious thing, but all of our vampires were in the jewel tones. It was like burgundies and plums and emeralds. And um, and so because it's so dark, you know, you'd lost the color detail. So go for maybe a little bit of color and you can, you know, Colin Robinson is, you know, you go to Easy Trend. I mean, pair of slacks and a shirt and a tie and you're good to go. But, um, you know, have fun with it. Be creative. And you don't actually have to mimic it directly. Just put your own um, swing on things. But shape. And, you know, Nudge's hair is kind of iconic. I think if you even got the wig right, you're halfway there. Um, as long as it's a big bustle skirt and a, and a heavy jacket. And do you know what? It's attitude, right? So, um Bring your chewed with your costume and you should be good to go. Yeah, Nadia, with, as long as you have the teeth and kind of the sneer, I feel like you're most yeah. of the way there. And the sne- the, yeah. yeah, and the hand, yeah, it's the attitude. It's like the total <laughs> disdain and then, yeah, mixed with a bit of velvet and crinoline, you'll be perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so as you mentioned earlier, obviously COVID happened and you unfortunately weren't able to work on this season of the show, which is a huge bummer. Did you have any sort of a passing of the torch to the team that was in Toronto or were they the same people you'd worked with before? Same, the same people I, I'd worked with, you know, my ACD, Laura Montgomery took over as um, designer and Laura, um, my big thing was um, totally trust Laura and she knows the format and not, and I think anyone that goes into the show where it's so fast and there's so many costume changes and just understanding the tone, that's the biggest and most important element to bring to your design process when it's already established. And Laura already had the understanding of the show. But the most important thing for me was the cast. The cast really enjoy her, trust her. And so it was just an easier transition. I knew they would be well looked after. And the same with our um, our supervisor, Barbara. Barbara became the ACD. And so that was a really, really strong team. Very cool. Are you working on any new projects now back in New Zealand? Yeah, so I've been on this amazing show. So I would do, I started on a show called Sweet Tooth, which is on Netflix. And so I started on Netflix and I would go to Canada and work on Shadows and then come back and do, well, we did the pilot on um, Sweet Tooth. And and then so I came back and I, I stayed on Sweet Tooth. And so we're just getting ready for a second season. So totally diverse. It's like going from vampires to dressing little deer boys and um, repurposing leathers and 
you know, hemp and different textures to create an animal army was really, really different from vampire lore of what I'd been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah, tell us a little about that. For for those of you who haven't seen Sweet Tooth, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but from like a visual sense, it's the one where uh, like there's a pandemic and it turns people into like animoids, right? Uh, well, it's a pandemic. And so it's the chicken and egg scenario of what came first, but um, it's a pandemic. And so with the demise of the human race becomes the rise of the hybrid. So all children are born half animal. And so it's just an understanding of tolerance and diversity and how we are challenged by that. And um, and I don't know if you guys have read the comics or the graphic novels. They're so dark and so brilliant. This is a lot lighter in tone, but um, with the same really key principles. How does your process for that differ from what we do in the shadows? Well, the process for, uh, you know, the key process is, under, you know, doing your research, understanding the, the narrative and the backstory. You know, with Sweet Tooth, we had a source material, so I would try and incorporate that into our characters. Whereas Sweet Tooth, I was fortunate that I kind of created the, the DNA of the characters in the film, so I already had the shorthand and understanding to extend it with the new characters in the TV series. So understanding the characters, that was different, but the principal process still stays the same. It's like knowing the environment, working environments, what the set is like, a colour palette, what the DOP is doing, and just really just getting your head around the characters and, and what their trajectory is and accommodating that with costume. So Amanda, thanks so much for talking to us. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't brought up? Fan art is always a big one because it's like the amount of um, artwork that is generated from the fans of what we do in the shadow still blows my mind. The portraiture work, the um, the knitting, the cosplay, you know, it's just the whole gamut of creativity. And that to me is so amazing that a show could generate so much interest. Yeah, just the interesting <laughs> emails I get with questions about where I sourced a handbag, where I sourced some, um, <laughs> you know, like seriously. And I'm like, oh, I, um, okay. And then the amount of time I spend Googling to try and find, okay, well, I got it on that at that store. Two men have actually emailed me separately about a handbag that Greta Lee wore in that episode that the, um, her, I wanted to get like a bum bag for her vape. And so it was kind of like a burnt orange or mustard um, bum bag that I'd wrap around her body in, in numerous ways. Two men have actually independently in the last six months emailed me asking where I got it from because they wanted to buy their girlfriend that, that bag, which I think <laughs> is brilliant. But it's, That's amazing. Um, I will say there was, I know you didn't do this season, but there was a, Natasha was wearing a, a puffy shirt, like a white frilly shirt in one episode that as soon as I saw it, I was like, I gotta have that shirt. But I think... I think if I tried to wear it, I would look like Jerry Seinfeld in the puffy shirt episode because I don't <laughs> have the rest that. of the style. <laughs> it would just be like no. me in like jeans and, jeans and sneakers and a puffy shirt. <laughs> I know. And you know what? That shirt, I think, is a Zimmerman one that we got at the end of the season. And it is spectacular. Jeans and some boots, girlfriend. You'll be good okay. to go. See, this is great. I need you on call. Oh, no. This is, no one ever calls me girlfriend. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) We're best friends now. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such an edifying experience, such an informative experience. Um, Where can people find you? Instagram, um, Amanda Neal. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. This was such a good recording. I'm so glad you're here. Nicole and Patrick, so lovely to meet you both and take care. Thank you guys all so much for joining us. Next week, we're going to be chatting about the season three finale called The Portrait, in which the housemates grieve the loss of one of their own. 
you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It really helps people find out about the show. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Patty Mo. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nicole Conlon and on Instagram at the Nicole Conlon. And you can visit thedip.com to stay up to date on all sorts of pop culture. That's thedipp.com. And you can follow the dip on Instagram at the dip. Bat.